0: Hello, fellow podcasters, listeners, and friends. We are ready for episode two of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and you can learn more about what it means to speak well and what we're talking about as a good speaker in the first episode where I introduce what I'd like to accomplish with this podcast, all the different areas of speaking for both native and non-native speakers. So I'm going to proceed, but please do revisit that episode one if you have any questions about what we mean by being a good speaker. But basically today, what I'd like to focus on is take a deep dive into feedback. And in the first episode, I mentioned that we need to get feedback to know how we're doing, because otherwise, only my opinion doesn't necessarily matter. It matters to a degree. We have to be confident when we speak. We have to feel good about what we say in our messaging or it will come across if we're insecure, uncomfortable, or not connected to our messaging. That's true. However, if you get no feedback or you aren't able to internalize the feedback that you get from people and from the right people, we'll talk a bit about that as well, then you really won't be able to improve greatly. And we want everyone to improve greatly. I can tell you when I first started coaching, I would often ask clients, Tell me a little bit about the feedback you get from other people. And I think there's a reason we ask this question. If you think about interviews, you know, you go in to interview for a job and they ask you, what makes you think you can do this job? What are you interested in? Blah, blah. And usually we try to come up with all the positive things we can say. We might exaggerate. We probably aren't going to identify our weaknesses unless we're asked to do so. And it's kind of uncomfortable to brag about ourselves and say, I'm really good at this. We typically don't do that. So one thing to think about with this question is, if you say to someone, what would other people say about you? What would your old boss say about you? What would your coworkers say about you? It frees people up to say positive things about themselves without trying to impress or exaggerate and without having to try to be humble. It kind of takes all that filtering away, and you just say, well, my colleagues would say this or that. And then it also brings out what your best features might be and what it's like to work with you. So there is a reason for that question. And when I ask people, what feedback are you getting?, I often ask it because if I ask them directly, what do you want to work on, they won't necessarily know, or they'll say, you know, I'm not a native speaker, I feel bad about how I sound or something like that. So if we want to really get at what you could do differently, we want feedback. So what is it about this feedback that we want? What are we looking for? Well, first of all, not everybody is a good source of feedback. It's not the general public we're after here. It's your audience. Everybody has a different target audience. And it's also supportive people. We're not after somebody who's really going to rip you up and say nasty things about you. And another analogy here is that 360 in the workplace, you know, where you're getting a review. And so many large companies especially have a process where people can give feedback about you. And they try to do a cross-section. So it isn't just, you know, someone that you like to work with. It could be anybody. It could be a customer. It could be a colleague. It could be a boss. It could be someone in a different department. There's a variety of people who might have an opinion about you. They might want to weigh in. And their opinion isn't only necessarily their opinion, it could also be a general idea or consensus about you from their department, their perspective. So a wide variety of perspectives can be useful. The thing about speech, though, is it's so personal. We really take it to heart when someone says something bad about how we sound or how we speak. It can really hurt our feelings. So I would recommend starting with people who care about you and support you. Your boss typically, not always, there can be nasty bosses out there, but typically your manager or a boss type person, a supervisor, is someone who wants you to do well. They may not necessarily promote you, but they do have your best interest at heart in many ways. If not, you probably shouldn't be working for them. But the idea is that someone who wants you to succeed in the workplace is probably going to give you supportive feedback. Constructive, yes, but not critical. So the distinction there is that constructive feedback might be something you need to improve, but it shouldn't be just a put-down. In other words, someone who tells you, you sound crappy, you're not a good speaker, I don't like to listen to you, you don't have a good presence, this is not useful feedback, it's just negative. We're looking for something like, you talk too fast, you don't sound like you know what you're talking about, you're too insistent, you sound angry, you sound like you're joking, you don't sound serious, whatever it might be. And you want to gather this feedback And one thing I always like to share with people is you don't have to take it to heart initially. Easier said than done, I know. But you don't need to take it to heart like, oh my gosh, it's this horrible thing someone just said about me. Think of it as an arm's distance away from you. Everybody's going to give you different feedback. Some people like you, some people don't. That's how things are. What you're looking for are patterns and identifying your habits especially your blind spots. We all have them. We all have things that maybe we have an excuse around it, maybe there's a reason, but we don't know we're doing it. We're completely unaware. And the key to change with speech is awareness. We talked about this in episode one. you got to be aware of what's going on at least. We're not talking about the ability to change it yet, just being aware that you have an issue. So, if, for example, you get feedback from lots of different people, your boss, some coworkers, some friends, whoever it might be, and more often than not, people tell you you talk fast. Maybe in your life in general, people tell you you talk fast. That might be something that you choose to work on. But remember that you're in control, you don't have to work on everything. You can reject it. You can say, that's not something that I think is that important. Now, if it's your boss, there might be an issue with you rejecting it completely. You might not be working there forever. But the idea is that you have control over what you change. It's not something you force on yourself. That's important because you have to buy in. You have to be motivated and enthusiastic about the change, not doing it because someone is telling you you have to and you feel like you don't have another option. So you want to feel like you're empowered, like you're doing this as your free will, and then you can look at how to do it. But the feedback is key to identify those habits, patterns, blind spots, so you know what to work on. So let's start with that. Let's start with, let's say people tell you you talk too fast, because that is super, super common. I can't tell you how many times people tell me I just talk too fast. So the first thing to know about speed of speech, how fast you talk, how many words you use, how quickly you articulate them, is that this is all about perception. It's not just that you have to say X number of words, although certainly some people talk faster than others, and there are ranges of how many words you should say at a certain period of time. There's all kinds of stuff to judge you out there. If you Google it, I'm sure you'll find lots of stuff. The thing is, you have to speak at a pace that works for you. People have to understand you and connect to your message. As long as that's happening, it doesn't matter how fast you talk. I talk pretty fast, but I also pause. And I also am aware. At times, I might be talking too quickly, and I have to slow my pace. But the only way you can slow your pace is if you're breathing. And we will do an entire segment on breathing, I promise you, at some point. But what I want to mention about breathing is we all assume we're doing it because we're alive. And that's a pretty low bar. You know, yes, we are breathing. Uh Uh-huh, it's true. However, people breathe differently. A lot of people hold their breath when they speak. So this is what it sounds like if you hold your breath. You tend to speed up a bit. And you speed up because it takes time to exhale. So we typically inhale on the pause. So when you're pausing, which by the way, many people don't do at all. Have you ever been on the phone with someone that just doesn't pause? Now, this is a cultural thing as well. Some cultures I've noticed, and I won't mention a specific culture, but I have clients from certain places where they tend never to pause. It's like you can't get a word in edgewise, is what we say. You can't get a word in edgewise. And it just means that the person's talking so quickly and never pausing long enough for you to digest what they say and come up with a response or a question or reaction to what they said. And that's not good because you want people to respectfully listen to you and go deep and interact with the information and come back and say things and ask questions So it's important to speak in a way that people can understand. But this idea of talking too fast, I would suggest to you, is about the listener's perception of your speed. That is, you can probably talk as fast as you like if you're doing some other things correctly. And you might not be doing those things correctly, and therefore you may be accused of talking too fast. So the first thing is this breath-holding thing. And you have to start again with awareness. Notice if you're holding your breath. I find, and this is just a personal observation, that tonal languages, people who speak Vietnamese or Thai or Chinese, any language that's tonal by nature will tend to hold their breath a bit. And it seems that to hit tones, you don't need a lot of breath. But let's take a word in English like that. Because English is not a tonal language, right? So when you say the word that, you need a lot of breath. Now linguists will say, well, yeah, the T at the end is plosive and the TH at the beginning, the TH sound is a voiceless fricative. And yeah, that's all great information, but it's not just about that sound. It's about the entire word and the airflow, the breath coming out of your mouth. When you say that, There's breath coming out in two different ways. If you look at the th versus the t, that's the fricative and the plosive is the linguistic term for those two different sound airflows. But there is a lot of air, even on the vowel, ah. There's some air coming out of your mouth. So you have to be exhaling when you're speaking. That means you have to inhale when you're not speaking before you start and at every pause. And as you go, you can gracefully inhale. So some people have stuffed noses, right? Some people just have difficulty inhaling it for any reason, you know, at any time, whether they're speaking or not. But breath can be different for different cultures, different personalities. You know, we talk about type A and type B people. There's a type C too. But these type A people are like, go, 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 go. They may tend to talk faster. But if you breathe and release the breath on the exhale as you speak, then you're not going to speak as fast as you would. I'm not guaranteeing you'll speak at a great pace, but if you're exhaling, you will speak slower than if you were holding your breath. So I would start there. Start with a breathing awareness exercise. We'll do more of that when we talk about breathing. But breath is one thing. The next thing about talking fast is you got to pause. And this concept of pausing, I like to use the term strategic pausing, It's about choosing where you pause. So as you're speaking, you're the individual delivering the message. You get to determine when you pause and how long you pause. You get to decide that. People get uncomfortable if you pause too long. They think they've lost you. So you don't want to pause so long that it's uncomfortable, but you want to pause long enough for people to get the message and have time to process it. So it is key to do some strategic pausing. It's also going to link with the breath work. So if you're having trouble breathing because you're trying to elongate the breath, your first language maybe requires less breath. So you're wanting to elongate the sounds, hit the final consonants and the endings, for example, and you're running out of breath. You can, of course, do breathing exercises. But in addition to that, pausing allows you to catch your breath. So pausing becomes key. The other thing is grouping the words. A lot of non-native speakers are really worried about pronunciation. So they pronounce the entire word, giving them all equal length. And notice nobody talks that way. Native speakers don't do that. So while you may have the best of intentions by holding all the words the same length and articulating them well... You're actually hurting comprehension. You're hurting your listener's perception, which is what this is all about. So to get the the listener to say to you, hey, yeah, your pacing is great, you have to bundle the words. You have to put them in groups. So when you're talking, the words are in groups. They don't exist individually. They're always uttered together. Now, I'm exaggerating that pause a bit so you can hear it, But the words go together, and generally, generally, the last word is the longest. So if there's a group of words, the last one before the pause is noticeably longer. Now, why is that? It's a feature of American English. It doesn't have to be that way. You could go up in pitch. You could get louder. But I recommend, for sake of practice, if you're a non-native speaker, Focus on keeping the last word longer. Perhaps even if you're a native speaker, just notice that by elongating words, and again, not always the last word, it can also be an important content word. So when I said noticeably longer, I could have held the word noticeably a bit longer than I did. It's a judgment call. Whenever you change the word that you hold, you change the intention or the meaning. You can take any sentence and do that, like, the fox ran across the lawn. If you say the fox ran across the lawn, the idea is that it's not a dog or a bear, it's a fox. But if you say the fox ran across the lawn, he didn't walk, he didn't stagger, he didn't fall, he ran. And if you say the fox ran across the lawn, he didn't run across the park, he didn't run across the driveway, he ran across the lawn. So it's a way to emphasize, and I also call this contrastive stress. You're pointing out the word that is most important that you want to stress and contrast it to another word. It's a fox, not a dog. That's the contrast. It's the lawn, not the driveway. That's a contrast. It's running, not jumping. That's a contrast. So that's important, but what I think for non-native speakers is even more important is simply to hold some words longer than others. And if you have to guess... I'd go with the longest word at the end, the last word. And also, content words tend to be longer. Nouns, verbs, adjectives and adverbs. Now, if you say, well, I don't know much about grammar. I don't know if it's a noun or an article or what it is. You don't necessarily have to analyze it grammatically and know the word adjective and adverb. But it's a word that has meaning. Now, this is not the most important word in the sentence. People conflate these two things. It's not about saying that, oh, this is the important aspect. It's just the word that happens to have meaning. So if I said, the mouse is in the cage, is in the are connecting words. Mouse and cage are content words. Those happen to be nouns. Is is pretty much a connecting word here. It's not a really important, not necessarily even regardless of, you know, is how important that word is to you. It's a verb. You have to have it. But the idea is that mouse and cage are the primary content words. If you say the mouse fell in the cage, fell becomes important because you really want to emphasize that aspect. We know the mouse is in the cage, perhaps, but we didn't know that it fell. Maybe it fell and broke its leg, and you're a scientist and you're doing research on it, and that's important. So the idea is that as the speaker, you have a lot of say over which words you stress and elongate. And when we talk about vowels and word stress, we can talk more about elongation. But just know that if you're accused of talking too fast, it may be that you're not holding words long enough. So enough about talking too fast. People may give you other feedback. If, for example, you're told by more than one person, and that's one of the criteria. If it's just one person, it may not be true. So be careful what you believe. You want to see it from a variety of perspectives. But let's say that people tell you that you just lack credibility, like people don't buy into what you're saying. That's a little more complicated because we don't know why people don't buy in. We need to know that. And it could be, for example, that you go up a lot. So going down in pitch, like I start here and I go down. And I start here and I go down. Going down tends to send the message in American English. Now, not in any other language or any other dialect. I'm not speaking to those. I don't know. I'm not an expert in that. However, in speaking American English, when we head downward, and we can head downward in tone and get low... But the idea is that we start somewhere, and perhaps we start at your natural pitch. There's all kinds of videos and information out there around pitch. So not to get in the weeds too much around pitch, but the idea is that some people have higher voices and some people have lower voices, and there's a range in there that's comfortable for your voice. So if you're going too high or you're going too low, you want to correct that. And also, wherever you start, you want to go down to be decisive. So if I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about, I want to be credible. I'm still pausing, I'm breathing and exhaling, and I'm going down. If you find it challenging to change, it's probably because more than one thing needs to change. Notice I said you got to pause, you got to breathe, and you got to go down. Now we talked last time about the word order. What order do you do it in? you got to change the breathing first. You're not going to be able to control the pitch going down if you're holding your breath. So the order matters. If your breath is a problem, always fix that first. So once you've got the breath going, now you can do something with your breath. You can practice going down. Also, like we talked about in the first episode, you got to take a recording of yourself. you got to record at least audio, maybe audio and visual, video. We talked about the advantages and disadvantages of that. But you have to be able to hear what it really sounds like. It sounds different in our head, And linguistically, we often think of this, and when we, as coaches, we think of it as bone resonance. So the idea is that when you hear it in your head, it sounds different than out externally. And if you record yourself, you might say, hey, I sound completely different. And that's supposed to be due to bone resonance. It can sound different inside your head. Okay, that's somewhat believable. Great, I got it. But how do you change it if that's the case? That's why you have to hear it and know that it's important to change it. And then you can begin to do exercises to do that. But even before you change it, when you're just getting the feedback and becoming aware, and someone says you're not decisive, it doesn't mean that you truly are not a decisive person. It's not a personal attack. It's a voice and speech issue in many, many cases. It might be that you're not decisive. If that rings true for you, that could be a different issue. But if you say, hey, I'm a decisive person, In my first language, I have no issue. It's only in English people accuse me of not sounding decisive. It might mean that you're swinging up. So if you talk up like that and your pitch goes up, it can sound like I'm not sure about what I'm saying. Now that could be a pattern you picked up that you weren't even aware of, just a habitual pattern. We call it a habit. Or it could be that your first language has a pattern where you go up more. I know for many Latino Americans, the Whether it's Spanish or Portuguese, a lot of the tonality can sound like you're happy all the time and jovial, which is great, but it can also make you sound less serious if you do that in English. And we talked a bit last time I made the case for the idea that identity is part of it. Like Latinos will say, hey, this is just how I sound. That's how you sound when you speak Spanish, or that's how you sound when you speak Portuguese, but that doesn't have to be how you sound in American English you can make a choice to sound different, and that's important to know. So if you make that choice, you could work on going down, for example, going down, 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 and without language, without the verbiage you're using at work, you could just say, I'm going down, I'm going down, 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 down. Why would you want to do that? So that you can master the control with your vocal folds of going down with pitch without trying to think about the content. You can do that later. But in the beginning, you just want to isolate. We talked about specificity. You want to isolate what you want to change before you try to integrate it. So the isolation here would be, hey, I want to be more decisive. I need to go down in my pitch. Now, there's hundreds of other things, maybe thousands of other things you might be given as feedback. So I would encourage you to get feedback from a variety of sources and to do it often, like every three months when you change jobs uh, as the years go by, get feedback from people and allow them to give you feedback that maybe isn't always positive, maybe that goes against the grain. People may say things to you that you don't agree with, and that's okay. You don't have to buy into it. See if you can distance your reaction. Can you allow some time to pass from the time that they give you the feedback to the time that you react to it? Because it's really important not to overreact and shut the person down by saying, that's not true. I don't want to work on that. Let the information come in. Think about it. And then once you find patterns and more than one person tells you it's true and you're like, you know, I do have this issue, then you can commit to it. You're now aware of it. And you can start to look at how to change it. And in our following podcast, we'll look a lot more at how to create change. But remember, it is important to get feedback. Keep working on your speech. Everyone can speak better, including myself, with effort and awareness, practice. And we can all do those things. And we'll meet again in episode three to talk more.